Grammar Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about the difference between a current and a current, and a meaty middle about the American Dialect Society's word of the year, the singular they. First, the fruit. A current with an A is a fruit similar to a raisin. In the 14th century, farmers in a Greek town called Karans exported these raisins to other European cities, and the fruit became known as raisins of Karans, or sometimes raisins of Corinth, and eventually simply as currants. Current with an E has many meanings. As an adjective, it has to do with time or prevalence. And as a noun, it's something that flows, such as water in a river, or electricity along a wire. I remember how to spell the fruit name by thinking that its name ends with A-N-T. It's C-U-R-R-A-N-T. So it ends with ant, and ants eat food. So current spelled with the ant at the end is the food, a raisin-like fruit. And now on to the singular they. 2015 was a big year for the little pronoun they, and it slide into use as a singular pronoun. First, in December, the Washington Post admitted the singular they into its style guide, saying it's fine for post writers to use they as a singular pronoun for transgender people and to avoid awkward sentences. Then, last week, hundreds of linguists at the American Dialect Society annual meeting voted for the singular they as the 2015 word of the year. To be clear, what we're talking about is how to complete a sentence, such as, if a resident wins the lottery. And at this point, writers struggle because English has a big gaping pronoun hole. We have no universally accepted word to describe a person if we don't know whether that person is male or female. We could write, if a resident wins the lottery, he should at least buy everyone ice cream. She should at least buy everyone ice cream. He or she should at least buy everyone ice cream. Or something else. Add in transgender people and people who don't identify with either traditional gender, and that gaping pronoun hole becomes an even bigger problem. A listener named Betty summed it up best by saying that he or she seems too awkward, and he alone seems sexist. I'll add that exclusively using she also seems sexist. The hybrid S slash H-E seems silly and awkward, and switching between he and she can be downright confusing to readers. A listener named Brian called switching between he and she whiplash grammar, which I loved. Finally, we have the solution that everyone loves to hate— and which the Washington Post has now adopted, using the personal pronoun they, which breaks the rule that you don't use a plural pronoun with a singular antecedent. Now, a Post journalist could write, if a resident wins the lottery, they should at least buy everyone ice cream, and get away with it. Not exactly, because Bill Walsh, the Post copy editor who changed the style guide entry, still recommends that you should rewrite sentences to avoid the problem, which you can usually do by making the antecedent plural. If any residents win the lottery, they should at least buy everyone ice cream. But still, the singular they isn't as verboten as it used to be. Jumping back for a minute, I know some of you may disagree that using he is sexist, 
But even if you disagree, you should still at least consider the alternatives, because most of the major style guides do recommend against using he in a generic way. I specifically checked MLA, APA, and Chicago, and I know I've seen it in others. The Associated Press does allow he where the Post would allow they, but the Associated Press style guide also says it's usually better to rewrite your sentence. In the article where Bill Walsh announced that they would allow the singular they, he said, quote, a male default pronoun hasn't been palatable for decades, unquote. This is obviously an area that's in active flux. The American Dialect Society word of the year is something new and exciting. It's not something that's been settled for decades. Over the years, people have tried to introduce new pronouns, such as Z, Zir, and Thon, to fill the void. But none of these has had much success outside specialized communities. Interestingly, in Sweden, a gender-neutral pronoun, hen, started getting a lot of attention in 2013, when the media picked up a story about a children's book that was written using the pronoun. In Swedish, han means he, and hon means she. In the 1960s, people introduced hen as a gender-neutral pronoun. And last year, again 2015, big year for pronouns, the Swedish Academy added hen to the country's official dictionary. So although it's rare, new pronouns can sometimes gain acceptance. Coming back to English, in 2007, Dr. Elaine Stockco from the School of Education at Johns Hopkins University and her student, Margaret Troyer, heard school children in Baltimore using the slang word yo as a gender-neutral singular pronoun. Not in a way to get attention, like, yo, check this out, and not as a form of your, as in yo mama, but like a real singular pronoun. They used it only in informal situations, like talking to each other in the halls and talking about other children. And I haven't heard of this isolated trend spreading, but it's still an interesting development that highlights how much we need a pronoun to fill the gap, so much so that kids are making up words. Many years ago now, I stated for the record that I was a firm believer that someday they will be the acceptable choice for the situation. English lacked an acceptable word that fit the bill, and many people were already either mistakenly or purposely using they as a singular generic personal pronoun. So it seemed logical that rules would eventually move toward favoring they. Therefore, I'm delighted that the singular they is getting more prominent backing from linguists and gatekeepers. Those are some of the things that encourage language change. Nevertheless, it still takes a bold, confident, and possibly reckless person to use they with a singular antecedent today. I could almost feel people's blood pressure rising as I made the case for being able to use singular they and saying that I support it. Shocking. So what should you do? You certainly shouldn't write, if a resident wins the lottery, yo should at least buy everyone ice cream, even if it's not a formal document. And if you don't work for the Washington Post, your editors might still not think it's okay to use they as a singular pronoun. Rewriting your sentence to avoid the problem is almost always possible, and if it is, you should do it. But if it isn't, then you have to make a choice. Ten years ago, I used to use he or she a lot when I was writing business and technical documents. For example, I might have written, When you are approached by the winner, 
first verify his or her identity. But these days I find that terribly awkward. I would use it as an absolute last resort, but first I'd redouble my efforts to rewrite the sentence so I could use they as a plural pronoun. Sometimes there are multiple lottery winners, or an employee could interact with multiple individual winners over the year. So it wouldn't be unrealistic to write, when you're approached by the winners, first verify their identity. The thing is, if you're a respected editor in charge of writing a style guide for your organization, you can get away with making it acceptable to use they with a singular antecedent. I would even encourage you to do so, and there are a variety of credible references that will back you up, including the Random House Dictionary and Fowler's Modern English Usage. You would be in the company of revered authors such as Jane Austen, Lewis Carroll, and Shakespeare. I applaud Bill Walsh for making the singular they acceptable at the post, and I encourage others to follow his lead. Yay, Bill! But if you're at a more conservative publication and are responsible to superiors— there's still a good chance that at least one of them will think you are careless or ignorant, or at least a rebel, if you use the singular they. If I were writing for a business client who didn't have a style guide, I would still always avoid the singular they. And that brings me to an important point. Everyone who hires writers or assigns writing needs to have a style guide entry on this topic. Writers can waste a lot of time trying to decide what to do, especially in organizations where people collaborate on documents. And it's better to have one single style that some people don't agree with than to have different writers doing different things so that company documents are all willy-nilly. So here's the bottom line. Rewrite your sentences to avoid the problem. If that's not possible, check to see if the people you're writing for have a style guide entry on this topic. If not, use he or she if you must. Or use they if you feel bold, secure, and are prepared to defend yourself. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. If you like the podcast, make sure you're subscribed, especially at iTunes, so you never miss a new episode. And while you're there, I always appreciate it when people take the time to write a review. It helps other people decide to give the show a try. And that's as true for books as it is for podcasts. So if you're feeling generous, write a review for the podcast or my Grammar Girl books if you've read them. And do it for other podcasters and authors you like, too. It means more to all of us than you can probably imagine. You can make someone's day and spread happiness in the world with just a couple of sentences. That's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. 
Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.